getting Edmonton a piece of the global pie. This week, we talk with the organizers of Forward Slash, a local summit hosted by Edmonton Global to rally support for regional cooperation. We'll get the deets on what happened, why it matters, and what comes next. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 194. I love that throwback food pun, Troy. Well done. Of course, uh, the listener who has been with us for a long time is now quaking in their boots wondering, is this going to return every week? Are we going to see useless titles? (laughs) I guess we'll have to tune in next week and see. Now for the rapid fire. Newly minted premier Danielle Smith launched her first press conference with the extremely well-advised statement that those who choose not to get vaccinated, quote, have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime, end quote. She noted that those who choose not to get vaccinated have lost their jobs for that choice, including high-profile individuals like the Alberta premier who lost her job on May 29th, 2023. A report to City Council noted that Blatchford has not achieved its move-in targets yet, with one of the causes being housing unaffordability. The Edmonton Urban Development Institute is proposing a solution to the problem of townhouses costing too much, build single-family homes instead. In a statement, UDI said, quote, while the ideal form for Blatchford would be zero-family zoning, example, gravel parking lots, change from dense, sustainable urban forms is a long-term process, and UDI is willing to make compromises to get us away from that. A new streaming service has launched called Oilers Plus, which allows you to have a relaxing night as Disney Plus babysits your children and Oilers Plus man babysits your husband. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by Connect First Credit Union, who has helpfully sent along this clip. Do you ever feel like just a number? A digit? A denominator? A decimal? Another cog in the big bank machine? Waiting on hold? Online? Never on time? And always on your dime? Like your worth is only calculated by your net worth? In a world full of numbers, it's nice to know there's a place where you're not one. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future. This week, we are talking about Edmonton Global. That's not the television station. That's the Economic Development Agency for the region. I'm sure our guests have heard that a thousand times by now. And uh, we wanted to reach out to them and, and hear a little bit more about an event that happened recently in Edmonton called Forward Slash, and also talk about what's next and what's coming up for the region. So joining us on the podcast today is Chris McLeod, Vice President of Global Marketing and Communications at Edmonton Global, and Sherry Buslama, Manager of Brand Strategy and Communications at Edmonton Global. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, a quick disclosure right off the top here. I am uh, grateful for the working relationship that Taproot and Edmonton Global have, and just want all of our listeners to know about that as well. So Edmonton Global, if you read our roundups, you'll know they sponsor several of our weekly roundups. And if you get the Edmonton Global monthly newsletter, which you should, if you don't already, uh, you may know that Taproot produces that for Edmonton Global every single month. And does a great job of it. (laughs) Thank you. So we do have a working relationship. I also want to say uh, thank you guys for the media ticket to attend uh, Forward Slash on September 28th. That was greatly appreciated. You bet. Glad you could join. Full disclosure, I did not receive a media ticket to the (laughs) event, and that bitterness will be reflected in my commentary during the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. It was probably strategic, (laughs) Troy. Probably strategic. Mac didn't bring you as a plus one. 
we we did offer Mac a plus one, and he didn't take us up on it. So. Oh, my bitterness will be directed at someone else then. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. Okay, Chris, maybe you can start. Tell us a little bit about uh, the work that uh, you guys do at Edmonton Global. Sure, uh, and thanks so much again for letting us be on this. So Edmonton Global, really, the, the purpose, the why of why we exist is... Um, you know, we're about radical transformation. So our, our purpose is to radically transform and grow the economy of the Edmonton metropolitan region. Uh, the 14 municipalities that make up the region created us to be their economic engine, really. So we are we're focused on foreign direct investment and international trade uh, and building a narrative for the region that we can take into international markets. Uh, because believe it or not, you know, outside of here, nobody's really ever heard of us. Uh, so we've got a lot of work to do to, to have the world actually pay attention to what's going on. Uh, and part of that, uh, and we, we talk about this as a regional narrative, is that actually even people that are here don't tend to really understand just how much is happening here and how much we really should be doing. And, and really, we've got what the world needs and we've got it in abundance. So part of what we're doing is also just really trying to to help people understand what's what's happening, what the kind of a future vision of the region is, and to help kind of people align and harmonize on that that story so that, you know, when we work together, we can be loud enough for the world to hear. Let's talk a little bit about the target market, because you've mentioned a couple things yeah. there. When you're doing a campaign or whatever you might yeah. do in a month, who's the target of that? Am I, just an Edmontonian, the target for your campaigning, or are you more focused on international markets and international companies? Yeah, we're almost exclusively focused on international. Uh, it's a mix of either investors, so you know, think like cash and capital, uh, or it's international companies that uh, that we think makes sense for them to invest here. And and we tend to uh, be pretty laser focused, so it's not kind of broad marketing campaigns or broad campaigns that are you know, hey, come look at us. It's super focused. So you know, if, we, if you take something like plant protein fractionation, you know, which is a uh, is something that we, we grow, you know, Canada grows more peas, beans, and lentils than anywhere else in the world. Almost all that we export raw. And we think we can really increase the amount of value-added uh, food products that are made here if we just bring some fractionation facilities. So again, like there's maybe 25 companies in the world that are in that business uh, that are doing, you know, value-added ag and plant protein fractionation. You know, out of those, there's maybe, you know, five or six people in, inside each one of those companies that actually does the work on international, you know, site selection. And so our work is, you know, to figure out who those companies are, who those individual decision makers are. And then we build campaigns more around, you know, th those really specific things rather than really broad, you know, hey, come look at us. It's it's much more hyper-focused. But the flip of that is that when one of those companies comes and actually looks here, that when they talk to people, and whether those are you know, primarily their businesses and, and political leaders and other organizations, you know, we want the uh, the conversation to really hit the high points about our community and connect to what we're actually pitching. So that's where this, you know, having the region understand where we're trying to go and what the vision is and be on this shared narrative really, really helps. And I would just add to that, the comment Chris made about aligning and harmonizing the narrative, that really comes down to why we're doing this regional approach to economic development. We've heard before, be 
um, that, that used to be that there would be different organizations from our region going into market and sharing different and sometimes even conflicting messaging. So if we're going into the market, all kind of singing from the same song sheet, sharing the same messaging, it's a lot more powerful and less confusing to investors. I want to come back to the uh, singing from the same song sheet thing in just a moment. <laughs> but let's just finish the, the thought about uh, the targeted marketing and when yeah. you finally figure out who these folks are and they come to the region. You know, how do you how do you win them? Do you take them to West Edmonton Mall? Do you drive them around to the different municipalities? Like what how do you close the deal? Yeah, it really depends. And I'll say some of the deals are relatively quick and others are super long. And just as an example, and this isn't one that we worked on, this is one that the city of Fort Saskatchewan and Alberta's Industrial Heartland worked on. So Dow's in the process of building the world's largest net zero ethylene and polyethylene facility in Fort Saskatchewan. It's an expansion of their existing facility. And they worked on that proposal for 10 years uh, and they're now at the stage where they're getting close to doing their final investment decision. So like this isn't the same as, you know, mm. being in line at the grocery store and deciding if you're going to buy a magazine or a chocolate bar. It's, you know, these are long term things that that are really complex uh, and have lots and lots of you know layers and sometimes regulations you know, connected to them. It's not super simple, but if, if we take the Canadian Hydrogen Convention as an example. So in the spring of, of this year, we co-hosted the Canadian Hydrogen Convention. It was the largest hydrogen convention in North America. First time we've ever done anything really here in hydrogen. Uh, we brought about 4,000 people together, including uh, delegations from 21 different countries. And so these are you know, business leaders, companies, investors from 21 different companies. You know, Not only did they participate in the show, but we worked with Numbers Industrial Heartland to give them tours uh, around the Heartland and the different facilities there. We set up tours of some of the research spaces at the University of Alberta, also with the Alberta Mission Intelligence Institute. We sat down with, gosh, probably 14 different companies and did individual meetings with companies that are good candidates either for joint ventures or investment. And we actually have had repeat visits from uh, from investors from the UAE, like Dubai, since then, as an example. But it's it's a long process where people need to do due diligence, look at business casing, um, you know, look at inputs, you know, look at suppliers, you know, export markets, you know, transportation, you know, land purchase. There's a whole bunch of stuff that fits together. So yeah. it, it can be really complicated. And, you know, just the, the 10 years, I know not all of them are going to take 10 years, but, you know, a significant runway to closing a deal, as yeah. you say. Yeah, some, some, are, some are months, but some are long. Yeah. And it seems like that would be a problem for your shareholders, right? Some of which who've have... Uh, you know, toyed with the idea of leaving Edmonton Global as a shareholder in the last several years. You mentioned off the top the 14 uh, municipalities. It used to be 15 that were part of Edmonton right. Global. You know, you had Parkland County and Morinville, even St. Albert, all consider, you know, leaving Edmonton Global. Parkland County, Morinville both came back. St. Albert never quite got to that point. You know, those are elected officials, right, that you have to try and make happy. And they're not in office for 10 years. So how do you explain the value to them and how do you make sure that they understand that the work that you're doing will pay benefits because for example why would you build an ammonia facility anywhere other than fort saskatchewan that's never going to morinville right it's it's an interesting question so i mean the, the first piece is that those 14 municipalities actually own us they're our shareholders and it was it was them that came together and decided that it was going to be better for them to work as a uh, as a collective rather than to try to go it alone. 
And Sherry mentioned earlier this idea that, you know, often they were actually competing on the same deals, having contradictory messages and kind of scaring people off because of it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, they, they do recognize that there's value in, um, you know, one of, one of the phrases that actually Kathy Heron in particular uses from St. Albert is uh, hunting as a pack. So there, there's value in the region hunting as a pack instead of you know, trying to go it alone. But I think, you know, constantly we've got to have our eye on delivering value to every municipality. All of those elected officials need to show to their citizens that there's that there's value in the investment that they're making. Uh, and I think that they need to see it as an investment as, and investments need to have payout. I think that they've really recognized that not every community is going to win or even be in the running for every single deal. Each has unique things that, you know, when the right investor right company lines up that they're going to have an, an outstanding shot at but you know like you said about ammonia like you know an ammonia plant isn't going to go into san albert or morningville right uh you know it's not going to go into some places and those places you know probably don't don't want some of those investments to come in so it's really about trying to find where there is alignment uh where there's investment ready land too is, a, is another kind of big part of that puzzle but you know even if we take you know air products so air products is building uh, the world's largest net zero hydrogen facility uh, in Edmonton. The new numbers from Air Products are that that's going to be a $1.6 billion investment. Originally, it was 1.3. So we actually sat down with Air Products and looked at you know where they're getting their employment from, you know, to build it, where some of the subcontracts are coming from, you know, for for a lot of the different pieces to to build that out. Uh, it's going to be roughly 2,500 employees for about three years to build that. And so we've broken that down by community to try to get a sense of what are the direct, the indirect, and the induced economic impacts of that. And they're pretty substantial. Like, you know, even for a place like St. Albert, it's it's in the millions of dollars that they're, you're going to see as direct, indirect, and induced. So it's this idea that, you know, with, with rising seas, you know, it lifts all boats. But we're really trying to, to do the math on that to show how these things fit together. Right. So that, you know, even if a deal lands in one municipality, others can can see it and you start to get a knock on effect too, or, you know, one, one piece of good news attracts more interest, which attracts more investment, which attracts more good news and more investment. So it's, you know, we have to get into this, into more regional thinking and we can all see success, even if it's, you don't see that absolute direct success every year. I just want to say that, too, that there's a recognition that none of these municipalities are an island to themselves. Like, yeah. I think we all know people who live in one community but work in another community. Maybe they spend time doing leisure activities in a whole other community. So all of these things are way more connected. Um, and so some of, while it's hard to maybe quantify the benefits, I, I think there's a recognition that all of these municipalities are pretty interreliant. I have one question about how you determine what you're targeting because like you said mm. you're working very specifically you're finding a specific yep. ask and you're finding the five companies in the world that do what you ask and you know we've talked about ammonia we've talked about hydrogen we've talked about polyethylene these all make sense to me but of course you opened up with peas and yeah. i don't think edmonton you know what we're great at peas uh so <laughs> what is the development process for these ideas and these pitches are is the business community coming to you with like i've got this unique thing can you pitch it are you doing market research are you doing land research how do these asks and these opportunities come about for you to pitch globally yeah you don't know about peace hey that surprises me so canada grows more and really this is the prayer provinces we grow and export more peas beans and lentils than anywhere else in the world so what we did is you know we we looked at 
what are things that we do at global scale that we're not actually doing either not doing value added or where there's huge room for growth. So part of that is looking at global trends. You know, what are the areas where we, you know, global economists predicting that the largest areas of growth. Uh, then we're saying, you know, what what things do we have here that um, we can actually do at a global scale or that we're already doing at a global scale and not doing enough value added. And, you know, from that, it, it's almost like a, a bit of a matrix where you say, you know, here's how these pieces line up against each other. You know, where is their market opportunity? You know, where are there signals from industry that they're actually growing and investing in these areas? Because, you know, you need that part of it to make sense. And we've got a three-person data team that, you know, this is what they focus on, you know, all the time. Plus, we hire in expertise and, and help on that, both local and international, to really help us understand, you know, where there's opportunity and build business cases around it, to really make a compelling pitch and understand both what the input costs are, uh, as well as what the you know the opportunities and, and costs are around you know export and building it out. So I want to bring this back to forward slash, and you had five sectors that were highlighted uh, at the event, right? So hydrogen, food and ag, life sciences, AI and tech, and global logistics. So those are the the ones that got some stage time. There was some pavilions and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how the event came about. We were looking at doing our first sort of event as an organization. And the first thinking was that we would do something similar to what EEDC used to do and what CED still does is, is a report back to the community. But when we look at the purpose and the vision for Edmonton Global and what we've kind of been formed to do, that idea of radical transformation of our of our economy, we, we just really didn't feel like a report back to the community fit very well as a kind of a coming out event. We really are focused on the future and really wanted to bring the community together to align and harmonize behind those opportunities. So again, a big mandate of Edmonton Global is around this idea of um, aligning and harmonizing behind a regional narrative. And we felt like we needed to bring everybody together to do that. I find it interesting to hear, you know, didn't want to do what others have done. Because to me, I have to say, it felt very similar to two events in particular that the former EEDC has organized in the past. So there was an event called E-Town in 2013, another one called Ignite in 2015. They were also at the convention center. They also had these pavilions and areas of focus. They also had high production value and a couple of them even had some pretty high profile speakers. Chris Hadfield was here speaking. It felt a little like something that we've seen in Edmonton before. Why do you think a big event like this was the way to go? And you know, do you think that now that we're past the event that it helped achieve or is starting to help achieve what you set out for it to do? That's interesting. I, I know Sherry and I, neither one of us were at either of those two events. And actually, it's funny, part of what the inspiration for this was, and again, Sherry mentioned that we wanted to do something that looked forward, not something that looked back. You know, I, I spent some time in uh, in Dubai in November and actually at World Expo. And a lot of kind of the thinking around how we ended up shaping Forward slash was actually more inspired by that uh, than anything that 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 I or I think anybody else that was part of this had, had seen here. So I, you know, take your point, but certainly was not in mind at all. Uh, and you know, in which Sherry said about you know, we wanted to to pull people together. We we actually kind of had a you know a, a bit of an idea for what we wanted to do, but didn't have it fully formed. And we started talking to other organizations and just saying like. You know, we want to do something that shows off 
you know, what's actually happening today, because people don't understand what's happening today and how we can draw a line between that and this future that we're trying to build. And so as we started to talk to people about it, like everybody we talked to was like, how do we help? So we ended up with, with a steering committee that had 40 organizations as part of it. You know, all the municipalities, all the post-secondary institutions, you know, the airport, Alberta's Industrial Heartlands, you know, Applied Pharmaceutical Innovation, like just go on and on and on. And then also working groups where people got together to figure out how do we tell the stories of these areas and how do we show off what's happening? You know, and then people kind of took those over. So it um, it really felt like we were building something kind of from scratch. You know, while we were maybe at the front of the parade saying, let's, let's go in a direction, I think it really organically was built into something. And we really, from the very beginning, said to everybody, we need to make sure we build calls to action into this. This can't be an event. It needs to be the start of a movement. And so we really have tried to build that thinking in. And like just today, you know, there was a almost a full day session on hydrogen yeah. uh, that we're part of with um, the Transition Accelerator and the Upton Region Hydrogen Hub. And I think there's 50 people at it from different organizations that it's now saying, okay, how do we start to take this energy and apply it and get, you know, not just talk about stuff, but, you know, get shit done. I will say compared to those previous events, what you said is is really different, right? Those previous events did not have 40 organizations from across the region involved in organizing the thing. They were pretty much put on entirely by, you know, EEDC at the time. So I do think that's a difference, right? That coming together of so many different organizations to help organize this. And you saw, or I saw, sorry, Troy, many of them, you know, there at the event and, you know, they had some cool swag and demos and, and, and stuff like that. But to be involved in organizing, it does feel a little bit different. And so that kind of brings me to yeah. the next thing, which is that, you know, it was a successful event. I think it was a thousand people. The room was full. As I said, it had really high production value. Like it felt like a, a good quality event. It, you know, everything looked great, but it struck me that most of the people in the room are already champions, are they not, for the Edmonton region? Like, did you think about maybe we should have had international people at an event like this? One of the ideas that was floated when we first started talking about this was about making it an international event and bringing in international investors. And the more we talked with our steering committee and spent time with them, we still felt like there was a lot of work to be done within the region. And, and I take your point that there was a lot of champions in the room, but I would also say that those champions invited a lot of folks that maybe didn't know a lot about us, about Edmonton mean, Global or about these opportunities. So there, there was a lot of new folks in the room. And so so when we were talking to our steering committee, we really did feel like there was still a lot of work to be done there. And so that's what we decided to do for our first year. Um, when I looked at the event and, and what we were able to pull off with all of those organizations, and I, when I looked out at the River Valley and saw just how beautiful our city looked at that at that time, I did. I absolutely had that thought, man, I wish we were hosting more international people here tonight. There were a few. There were a few people who just happened to be in the city at the time and were guests of other people. But it would have been a great opportunity to show off our region. I think one of the challenges that we have uh, as a region is that we, we tend to be a little bit afraid to really go after stuff. Uh, we tend to wait for permission. Uh, you know, we wait for government to say, yes, it's okay to go in this direction. As we met with companies and met with, you know, other partners and really tried to, to figure out how to do this, there was a growing sense that we needed to get our own house together first to kind of get straight on our story first before we open it up to others from around the world. Because 
we are we are a little confused, I think, at the moment, or at least we have been. Uh, we haven't been all pulling in the same direction. I can't tell you how many companies I met with that I think are super plugged in who had no idea what's actually happening in hydrogen or in AI or the potential and value added agriculture or you know some of the amazing work that's happening at the Alberta Diabetes Institute or some of the work around solving cancer. So you know I think until we understand who we are, where we are, where we're going, you know, as a community, it's hard to have other people, you know, inside that at the beginning. I, I think we needed to to show it off to ourselves kind of first, convince people that we're actually worthy of doing this, give ourselves permission to do it. And then in the future, we can start to bring people in. For years and probably even decades, we've heard Edmonton leaders talking about rowing in the same direction, singing from the yeah. same songbook, hunting as a pack. Uh, I've been doing an idiom count on this episode, and seven mm. is how many uh, <laughs> idioms meaning that you've used. Well, we are comms folks, right? What's the goal? Do we need to hit double digits? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, KPIs, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, idioms per minute, very high. But, you know, this is something that we've talked about for decades. And, yeah. you know, talking is easy. Actually doing it is hard. We've now got yeah. a roughly new organization with a new name, yeah. and some new passion, often new event. What's actually going to be different this time? How can we get this done where previous iterations of the same organization haven't been able to really achieve that? Well, I think there's no guarantee for one thing. We're certainly working hard to try to find and build an inclusive model. Because uh, I think maybe what part of the problem has been in the past is that you know, one organization has tried to own everything and drive everything. And the model that we're using is much more is, is much more about kind of almost radical transparency. I don't know if that counts as, as number eight, um, <laughs> but it's, it's trying to really invite people in, have them take ownership, see themselves in what we're trying to build, you know, as a, as a collective. And we're, we're not trying to uh, force or control or, or other than really convene it and to say, you know, here's here's a vision that that we built collectively. How do we de-risk this for people? How do we how do we move forward? And it, let, let me give you an example. So we're doing all this work in hydrogen. Uh, one of the things that we haven't we haven't announced yet, we haven't because we haven't completely figured it out yet, and we'll probably announce it before we completely figure it out. We're looking to do a five thousand vehicle challenge. So this would be primarily going out to heavy haul trucking, global supply chain companies that are here, 30 companies, let's say, and saying to them, we want to build a hydrogen economy. One of the pieces we need is to help you move quicker to, to your fleets being a, either hydrogen or hydrogen dual fuels, so like a diesel hydrogen blend. Can you, will you commit to contracts? And I'm, I'm making up the numbers that are, let's say, three vehicles each with a delivery date in three years. Let's say that that's 90 trucks then that we'd have on the road in, in three years, either lease or purchase. We can then take that to you know Suncor and Shell and Air Products and the other makers of hydrogen and say, look, what we need is infrastructure to fuel these trucks. We've got 90 commitments for you know for vehicles. You know, is this enough to do risk building the infrastructure for you? We think that roughly that number is, and there's already a few facilities in the process of being built. Um, so then we can, you know, take back, here's the, you know, the infrastructure that's going to be built back to the trucking companies and say, okay, now you've got this, will you up your numbers to, you know, 10 vehicles each in five years and then go back, you know, just running back and forth and keeping all those people in the same room 
same conversations. And we think by about 2027, we can have roughly 5,000 vehicles on the road that are either strictly hydrogen or hydrogen dual fuel by just convening people, bring them together. You know, we're already talking to the feds in the province about how to incentivize some of that work, but it's actually building a program that um, we don't own, but that has tons of buy-in from the trucking industry, the, you know, the, the hydrogen production industry, you know, government that wants to figure out how to do it, but, you know, can't kind of set policy, needs some direction. You know, it's things like that with, you know, how do we get it started? How do we have people actually buy in and own it? Um, so I, I think I think that's maybe part of the difference is that we're looking at what are the key things that need to be there? Who needs to be at the table to make it happen? And then being super inclusive to say, yeah, if you want to join and help, come on in. So you've talked a lot about being, I'll say, in the room where it happens and organizing some of this stuff. The thing that strikes me is normal people in Edmonton going about their day, uh, going to West Edmonton Mall, don't get super excited about the logistics of hydrogen distribution. Uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, it's, it's not something that uh, is super up in their alley. And even like saying things just like the Edmonton region sounds a little bit inside baseball. Your sole shareholders are the communities and ostensibly the yeah. politicians on the city councils of the communities who are then beholden to those regular people for votes. So there does seem to be a little bit of a chicken and egg problem of, well, how do you maintain this funding? How do you make this exciting enough that you can communicate your story to Edmontonians and, in effect, the politicians that are your shareholders? And is that a problem that that seems a little difficult to do to me. Okay, so you're not into peas. You're not into hydrogen. <laughs> we'll, we'll find the thing that you're into. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I think I think there is some really amazing stuff, but it's we're not in the business of slow, incremental, safe change. You know, we're we're really again right in our purpose statement is radical transformation. So yeah, like we're we're going to take some huge swings. We're going to fail at a bunch of stuff. Um, I think we will always be a little bit tricky for the politicians and the average person. You know, I think he said shopping at Westampton Mall to maybe get you know what's going on. But I think over, over time, as these things start to come to fruition and people see that the you know the, the buzz that's here is actually based on reality of things that are happening, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that starts to to switch and that people start to understand that we've got something pretty special here. Like we're we're one of the few places in the world that actually is living uh, in abundance. But we've got this scarcity mindset where we we don't kind of think that there's there's hopefully two more that I snuck in in one sentence, <laughs> uh, kind of buzzwords. Um, but you know we we've got more you know more land that we can you know farm and do things with and grow into. We've got amazing amounts of water and natural resources, and you know like we've got something like 130,000 students that are in the region. Like we we've got what the world needs. The world doesn't know it, and it kind of feels like we don't know it. So I think part of our job is to you know, is to kind of talk this stuff into existence in people's minds. So I hear that Edmontonians and people in the region maybe not even being fully aware of what we've got is one of the big challenges. We're pretty good at getting in our own way. What are some of the other barriers that Edmonton Global is running into right now and in trying to win this business and grow it? Do you want to start, Sherry? Hmm. You know, no, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think Mac, the I'd say the biggest thing is that nobody's heard of us. Okay. Um, so it's not so much that we're getting in our own way, but it's I, we do that too. But like nobody knows who we are. Are you sure? I, I've heard of Mike Sobel. <laughs> <laughs> of yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, like we we did a big study back 
in kind of the beginning of 2019 with with international site selectors. These are people whose whole careers are about figuring out, you know, giving advice on where companies should be investing and expanding. So we surveyed you know, a whole bunch of them and asked, you know, have you have you ever considered the Edmonton region as one of the first questions? And the number one response is, what? Uh, they'd never heard of us. They had no idea who we were. Didn't even know that this was a, you know, a city or a region. So, you know, you, you can take that either as a, you know, a daunting task or, you know, if, you, if you're kind of minded like Sherry and I, it's like, oh, wow, this is all Greenfield. Everything, everybody we talk to is going to be the first time they're hearing us. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> it's a steep, it's a steep up, but <laughs> right. it's up. So I think, you know, one of the biggest things is just getting on the radar. Uh, and I, and I think too, you know, we, we've used that, that line, unify and harmonize a lot, just getting people to actually talk about what's happening here and to do it in a way that's, that's not apologetic. Um, that's, you know, kind of leans into the things that we're really good at. I think that's one of our biggest things. We, we tend to undersell what we're actually up to. Let me give you an example. So I was in, in Dubai in November and, you know, we sat down with two of the kind of leading guys in at uh, Brookfield Asset Management. And Brookfield's a Canadian company, but they've got a lot of plays in, in the UAE. And they didn't know anything about Edmonton, you know, so they said, tell us a bit. So we started with just, you know, a little bit of the University of Alberta, top three in the world in AI research, you know, 1.4 million people, uh, GDP of roughly 1.5 billion. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about our, you know, the, the direct line we have between Edmonton to the port of Prince Rupert, you know, via the CN rail line, which is of all the rail lines connecting the coast to the interior of North America. It's, it's the least energy consuming. It, you know, it actually doesn't go over as many mountains. And the port of Prince Rupert is the closest port of any port in North America to Asia. And that shipping times, you know, can be anywhere from four days to uh, 29 days faster than any other port in North America, if you're trying to move product in and out of Asia. And you know, talked about, you know, flying times and talked about agriculture and, you know, hydrogen and all this stuff. And they were floored. You know, they had no idea that our GDP is roughly the same size as Dubai's. Uh, they had no idea where we stood in AI. Uh, they had no idea that we had something like, you know, 400 AI companies, you know, in kind of that startup to scale up space. Uh, no idea that we had like 130,000 uh, students in post-secondary here, or that our education system is, you know, among the very, absolute best in the world for K to 12. And they, you know, their first question is, how come nobody knows about you? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we, we've got just crazy things happening that we tend to be the last people that celebrate it and talk about it. And, and so I think that's one of our biggest things is that, you know, we, we should be an economic engine for this whole country. Uh, and, you know, we, we tend to kind of make ourselves second fiddle and enough of that. That's really interesting, Chris, that they had no idea. And, and you know, the, the stats that you just rattled off are all really interesting and impressive. And some people may know those things in Edmonton. Many, many, many people probably don't. But aren't all different regions talking about this stuff? Like, we're surely not the only region that has 100,000 students or the only region that has an expertise in a particular field like AI or something like that. I, I mean, aren't isn't there a big sea of other regions out there competing for a similar business? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really excellent point. I think a lot of regions are marketing um, the, the very same assets that we're talking about. The one thing that we haven't touched on in this conversation is how, you know, quality of life factors into investment attraction. Um, anecdotally, I think we've all heard a lot of stories of people that have moved away and have come back and have actually said they, you know, when it came down to choosing where they wanted to have a family and build a future, that the Edmonton region was actually one of the best, like, 
was the best place that they could think to do that. So mm. there's huge opportunities to share that story as well. I think when we talk to people in the region, those stories really come through. And, uh, and I think that's where we really do have an advantage. And it's not easy, Mac. Like, we're in fierce competition with with cities and regions around the world. Yeah, I think what's what's a bit unique here is, is again is this idea of abundance. And I, you know, I, I keep going back to you know my time in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. They built amazing things, like literally, like just out of the sand in the desert. And they've got you know some really cool stuff around supply chain logistics, around finance, or even even agriculture. And they built it really by having a a vision for what they want their their country to be. And, you know, we're taking inspiration from places like that, places from like, like Singapore or, you know, Seoul, South Korea, or even, you know, closer, like in Austin, Texas, who have just said, like, you know, how do we actually take the assets we have, figure out where things overlap, like the overlap between, you know, our, our expertise in petrochemicals, you know, chemistry, uh, agriculture, like there's all kinds of opportunity that opens up when you start to layer those things together, especially when you add in, you know, supply chain logistics and AI. So it's, it's the combinations of things that I think start to make us unique. Mm. But if we think it's just going to land in our lap, like we're out of our minds. We, we've got to do right. crazy hard work to get on the radar, uh, to, to, you know, to be worthy of that investment. And, you know, we're, we're in fierce competition, but our competition isn't, you know, Calgary or Winnipeg. Our competition is, is Dubai, is Kuala Lumpur, is Austin, you know, is places around the world that are, they're working their butts off to land those deals there. Yeah. So this organization has existed through two city councils now, not fully, but during two. Um, and you've had the opportunity to work with an old city council and a new city council. So first, uh, which city council is better? <laughs> and can you directly compare and contrast Iveson and so Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll just I'll flip back to one of the nice things about us is that we have 14 municipalities that are our shareholders, not one. So, we, you know, it's really hard for us to pick favorites. <laughs> but Edmonton funds you like three quarters, no? So, you know, you can compare and contrast the Edmonton ones, right? Yeah. If, if you flip that around, though, they each fund us equally if you look at how our funding formula works. So our funding formula is a mix of population and uh, assessment value. So all of them actually fund us equally. And they also each have one vote, you know, as a, as a shareholder. So it's our model is a little different. Well, you know, we love funding formulas <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> So we've talked about a lot of what you've been doing and what Edmonton Global hopes to be doing, but what is directly next? If we look at the next six months, you know, what's the sneak peek? What are people going to see? And if they read in their news app, X buzz about Edmonton, what will have been the success criteria? What will you have done correctly? Wow, that could be the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll start. Maybe, Sherry, you can chime in. So six months. Sure. So in the spring, so maybe I'll start far out and work our way back in. We'll be hosting the second uh, ever Canadian Hydrogen Convention. The plan is to double it next year. So last year was about 4,000. This coming year will be about 8,000. And we're going to grow that into a 40,000-person event within five years. It's going to be the largest hydrogen convention in the world is what we're striving for. You will see huge amount of things happening in hydrogen in that six months, including uh, the launch of a 5,000 vehicle challenge and additional investments 
and announcements. Uh, you're going to see investments and announcements and things like waste to energy. You're going to see a continued growth of companies in uh, in the AI and tech space. You're going to hopefully see us make an announcement about uh, hosting a global deep tech show, which would be a mix of nano, quantum computing, and artificial intelligence, which is kind of the magic elixir to, to make that whole industry take off. Hopefully in that time frame, we'll also have an international event built around agri-tech, plant proteins, I know your favorite subject, uh, to really build out that. Because we want to have a major international conference that brings people and investors from around the world into those sectors here. And you're also going to see working groups being formed on each of those five big sectors. So one of the big outcomes of Forward Slash was to create momentum in each one of these areas. So you'll see a bit of a decentralized model of you know, planning out the future of each of those, figuring out what the barriers are, how to eliminate those and to really drive aggressive growth in each one of those five sectors with real tangible doing things that other organizations and business will, will be able to be part of and, and ideally really own. Yeah, I, I was really going to talk about the work that comes out of Forward Slash, because again, we yeah. talk about it as more than just an event. It's a movement, all of the working groups that are forming. But maybe I would just add, like, we hope to see collaboration grow even further, yeah. right? So stronger relationships with industry, stronger relationships with Indigenous communities, yes. stronger relationships with the youth, even and connecting with the youth in our region and building around, you know, how they see the future here, I, th I think are all areas where you're, you're going to see a lot more partnership and a lot more collaboration happening. Yeah, and I, I hope that, you know, again, you're, I know you're tracking how many times we, uh, we use different phrases. Yeah, like, it, like we, we are like, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Uh, we really recognize that no one organization can do this by themselves, and it would be kind of ridiculous for them to try. So we're just trying to pull together a coalition of the, of the willing to make stuff happen. The early days of Edmonton Global seem to be dominated by, is this organization a real organization? Will it be around? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're past all that now and you can really go after this and these opportunities that you're talking about? Yeah, you know, I, I was part of the organization in those a lot of those early days, it feels like we're in a totally different place. Uh, it really does feel like we've got a lot of people together that are working on things that believe in kind of this collective vision. So yeah, I, I think we're in a completely different space than we were even two years ago. Well, um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, I know definitely I walked in both bitter about not being invited and a skeptic of the organization, but it's a very big risk when an organization like yours comes on that there's a lot of platitudes and not to undercount the idioms, but you gave some concrete numbers and examples, and I appreciate that. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the six months and scoring that, uh, according to your answer. <laughs> Sounds great. Hold our feet to the fire. Yeah, you're on the record now, Chris. Yeah. Well, I, again, like we, we care passionately about this stuff, so we're, we're working hard to make it happen. This episode is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you're calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device. It makes it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Sherry. I'm Chris. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.